Blog Talk Radio. To the Dante Show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Dante Show. And it's Monday, August, no, July 23rd, 2018. It feels like August, but we know it's not August. It's still July. And you know what? It's hotter than July. When I tell you it is still hot in L.A., but not like it was um, about three weeks ago when it felt like death, felt like literally just hell had just erupted from the caverns of earth and just landed right on Hubert Avenue in Lamar Park, you know, so, but we survived that one. Here we are again, back into another, I think a heat wave is coming in LA, but we're going to make this happen. We're going to make this pop. All right. So how's everybody been? It's been a while. Dante show is back in effect. Took a small little break just to get some things in order, but it's all good. We're going to make it happen. And tonight's subject, uh, we're going to talk about something that still gets a lot of stigma, has a lot of ignorance, but we need a lot of education about it. And that topic is HIV. And I know that's a turnoff for a lot of people, and some folks learn from the conversation. But you know what? I don't really care. I really don't, because as long as I get one person to get educated, one person to consider getting tested, one person to get on down to the clinic, I feel like this is a great conversation. I don't know why people are scared to talk about HIV, why people are scared to talk about, um, you know, just sexual diseases at all. You know, folks still run from that. I don't know why, because everybody's having sex. Somebody's having sex right now. They probably should be wearing a condom. Somebody's having sex right now with a total stranger. Somebody's having sex right now with someone they probably just met. You know, but they don't take time to ask the important questions um, that they should know before being intimate with someone. Like, when was your last HIV test? What's your HIV status? Have you ever had an STD? Ladies, do you ever ask a guy, hey, do you like other men? Do you ever slept with another man? You know, stuff you should just talk about. But people don't do that. I don't care because I do it, and we're going to talk about it tonight. So while you're getting situated, while you're pouring your libation, while you're heating up your dinner, while you're popping your popcorn, let's just have small talk. All right, so what has happened over the weekend? Basically, to the surprise of many, Denzel Washington went on here and took the number one slot with the equalizer two. Yes, everyone was betting on Mamma Mia to just kill at the box office over the weekend, but guess what? Mama Mia Part 2, here we go again with Meryl Streep and Cher and Pierce Brosnan and all these other um, non-melanated people did not win. Did not win. You know, Denzel Trump said um, the Equalizer 2, I did see it. It was off the chain. It was off the chain. Part 1 was good. Part 1 was good. Part 2 was great as well. Equalizer 2 grossed $35.8 million, you know, and Mamma Mia grossed $34.4 million. Some folks would say, well, it's only a million dollars, only a million dollars. What's the big difference? Well, you give me a million and you don't have a million, who's winning? Me. So the Equalizer 2 came in number one over the weekend, so kudos to Denzel for still showing that he is box office gold. Yes, Denzel, you did that. You made it happen, all right? Now, a few weeks ago, I took the time out to go and check out Whitney's movie. Um, Whitney Houston has a documentary um, called Whitney, and it was released. And a lot of folks saw it, and a lot of folks were, like, tripping off of it because it's like, hey, what, what's this all about? What's going on? It's the same thing that came on Showtime. Well, it's not. 
the Whitney Houston documentary goes a lot deeper into what Whitney experienced, into what her life was about growing up and all kind of stuff. There was also a shocking revelation that came out in the movie that most people are tripping, tripping out over still, and it just shows how, you know, many communities still keep a lot of secrets, and it's really up to the family to just protect, protect the kids, first of all, protect the kids and create a safe space for the kids to come and voice their um, fears, concerns, threats, their discomforts, and all that kind of stuff. So what happened was, um, for those who haven't seen it, spoiler alert, sorry, spoiler alert, um, Whitney Houston's brother, Michael, um, came forth and said that him and his and his little sister, Whitney, they were molested um, by a female member of the family. I'm not going to tell you who the female member was in case you want to go and see it, just go and see it. But at this point, you can Google it and, you know, <laughs> Google will tell you. But it was a family member that molested him and Whitney Houston, all right? As a result, as a result, you know, Sissy Houston has now written Michael out of her will. She told him, you are out the will, you know, borderline disowned. How dare you say this lie and bliggity blah, blah, blah. Well, this proves why they probably didn't come and tell their mama at a young age because clearly mom was not somebody that provided these safe spaces. You know, mom was not somebody that said, hey, come and tell me anything and I got your back. Now, they did say they didn't tell their mother because he said they didn't tell their mother because they didn't want their mother to kill the individual because they knew their mother would go off. Any mother, well, I know some of them wouldn't. Most mothers would go off if they find out that their child has been molested, especially by a family member. Okay, now this is a female family member, so you know, Sissy probably had had a win in that fight. This wasn't like it was a big burly dude from down the block. No, this is a female family member, and I'm sure Sissy Houston, if you see the documentary, you will see the Sissy was gangster. Sissy wasn't no punk, Sissy wasn't no lightweight, and she probably would have took the skillet to this person's head. But at the end of the day, you know, we don't know if it really happened because Whitney's not here to tell her side of the story, but I don't see any reason for her brother to make up something like that or lie. Okay, I don't, I don't see that happening. But that is something that happened in the documentary. If you want to go and see it, check it out. If you're a Whitney Houston fan, it's definitely a solid, solid film to watch. All right. Now, something else happened on today that ruffled a lot of feathers. Um, not only ruffled feathers, but it, it caused um, a bit of a divide by folks that are Team R. Kelly and folks that are Team Not. So R. Kelly, he released this song today. Um, it's called I Admit. Okay, the song is called I Admit, and the song is 19 minutes long. It's a 19-minute song by R. Kelly admitting to everything that he did. Well, not so much admitting to everything he did. Some of the stuff we know he did, he ain't got to tell us. But he admitted to basically how his life is a mess, how he um, is a victim of certain circumstances. Um, he's, I don't know if he, yeah, he pretty much blames the parents of the little girls for don't bring your daughter around you want me to have sex with her. I mean, it was very just like, are you for real? But it was, for some, it was a cry for help, and it was a reason to, to put hashtag pray for R. Kelly. To me, I'm like, okay, so now we're going to pray for R. Kelly, and we're going to have all these candlelight vigils and whatnot for R. Kelly, but we just blatantly ignored the whole church hurt campaign that was going on after Leandria Johnson had her rant. So on my page, I posted um, a comment earlier that basically said, you know, you guys are going around crying about R. Kelly and, you know, weeping and lamenting. Y'all, all of y'all feeling about R. Kelly's 19-minute admission of guilt, but you drug Leandria Johnson up and down Crenshaw for her expressing frustration with the church, you know. Now, I got some, some pushback from a few church folks 
say apples and oranges, we can't compare R. Kelly's um, song of admitting what he did to Leandria Johnson's rant about the church. Leandria Johnson is a gospel singer. She knows better. She shouldn't be cursing and all this kind of stuff. Okay, what I took from that, me personally, I got something that's basically you're saying that hurt only applies to certain people. Leandria was hurt. R. Kelly is saying I was hurt, and that's why all this stuff happened. We're going to hug and embrace R. Kelly, but throw Leandria out into the desert with all the other lepers because she's just shaming the church. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Some folks are standing by it. They are really team R. Kelly. Okay, so. I'm not calling R. Kelly a pedophile because I don't know R. Kelly. I don't know who all he's been with. I don't know what he's done. But I will admit that some of the stuff that he um, has been accused of has raised suspicions, and we all sit back looking like, huh, really, seriously, okay. So I don't know, but I did listen to the song. I had to listen to it. I didn't have to. I had to listen. I listened to it because I wanted to, you know, discern for myself what he was saying and. It wasn't nothing new. Everything he said, we all knew that R. Kelly is illiterate. He cannot read. We all knew that R. Kelly had issues with his penis. We all knew that R. Kelly, you know, engaged in this and engaged in that. We all knew that. All he basically was saying was this is happening because of, you know, growing up I went through this. All right, all right, Kel, whatever the case may be, you go with that. That's your truth. You live in it. You walk in it. And those who support R. Kelly, so be it. You support him. You know, I'm not going to yuck your yum. That's your life. All right, and then last but not least, we all got to give a big old kudos and shout-out to my girl Faith Evans and her new husband, CBJ. All right, so Faith Evans and CBJ got married last week um, to the shock and awe of all of social media. No one saw that coming, especially since CBJ is a regular on Love & Hip Hop Atlanta, but now we know that CBJ has a storyline. And I'm sure the next season, Mona Scott is going to cash in on the fact that Faith Evans is now married to CBJ. We're probably going to see Faith Evans. We're probably going to see um, um, what's, what's the Puerto Rican chick's name? His first for real wife, um, Jocelyn Hernandez, is going to come back, and you know Faith probably going to pop her like she popped Little Kim back in the day for Kim Biggie. It's probably going to be the big old melee. My thing is this: I do not want, I do not want Faith Evans to tarnish her brand by going on something as as ratchet as loving hip hop. I love Faith Evans. Yes, I know Faith is ratchet. I know Faith can get down. I've been in the company of Faith um, a few times, and I know that Faith keeps it 100. She keeps it real. But everybody don't know that, and I don't want well, my queen, my love, my Faithy Faith, my Faith Faith Fifi, mm-hmm, to you know lose her reputation by doing that. But whatever the case may be, Faith, get your coin, I understand, stack your dollars. Albums ain't dropping like they used to be. You know, Beyonce done just raised the bar so high that any vocalist that comes out, if you're not featuring that Coachella, then folks ain't, you know, feeling you. But that's all well and good. So let's get on with tonight's show. So HIV, why is it still a taboo topic? Why is it a topic that we still don't talk about? Why is it something that people just shun from and run from? And even on the Facebook thread, people are quiet. Normally, every week when I do the Dante show, on Facebook, there is conversation, commentary, and dialogue that correlates with the podcast. I'm looking at the Facebook thread, and folks are silent. And I laugh at this because I have been in the HIV education prevention field for almost two decades, almost two decades, and people never want to come and listen to conversations about HIV, human sexuality, sexual health, but but let them catch something. Let them catch something. They're in my inbox. 
the DMing me. I'm getting late night text messages. They're doing all they can to meet me at the clinic to get a test. They're doing all they can to get me to, to, to do some kind of rapid exam to, to prove that they don't have anything. And then if they do contract something, they want to cry on my shoulder and weep and wail and all kind of stuff. But when people like myself and other advocates are out here trying to get people involved in these conversations, trying to get people to understand that everyone is sexually active and we've got to do our part to get these messages out, crickets. But tonight, um, my girl Tracy Bivens is going to join me um, in about 10 minutes. She's going to come on the show. She's going to talk about um, the challenges that women have um, that's going on with women because she really advocates for women's sexual health and women um, getting um, HIV care and treatment and other results and all kind of stuff. She's going to come on and she's going to chime in. But, yes, yeah, so if you're listening, <laughs> if the two or three of you are listening, I challenge you right now to invite your friends to listen to the conversation, tag them on Facebook, and just let them know. But I'm going to have this show. I'm going to do this show. I'm going to use information that we can archive and folks can play it back later on their way to work, on their way to the club, on their way to their jump-off house. Maybe this will pause them, all right? So what's up, Bridget? I see you, Bridget, Daniel, and Kwame, and Eddie. They're all listening. So you know what? Let's make this happen, and let's have conversations. Let's really have conversations. So one of the biggest questions that people always come up with when I talk about HIV, I try to educate, they always say, so where did it come from? You know, it's something that the man created in the clinic, you know, or in the lab to annihilate black people. You know, or it's something that the man made in the lab to annihilate gay people. Then I heard it's something that God sent down from heaven to kill off all the gays, you know. So people always ask, where did HIV come from? All right. So just so you know, for, for those that are probably a little bit ignorant to this, HIV has been around for quite some time, okay? And that's something that always shocks people when I tell them that. But HIV has been around since, like, 1959. You know, the first, the first similar case was found in 1930. You know, it was all the way, it goes all the way back there. Because when it came out of the 80s, people were trying to find patient zero. You know, patient zero means they want to find out who is the person, who is the culprit, who is the one that put HIV on the map or brought it to America. They want to know that. But after a lot of research, you know, and a lot of just sitting back and talking about all of this, you know, they realized that, hey, HIV has been around for quite some time. So, what they found out, what they discovered, was there is something called the simian immunodeficiency virus, all right? Simian means monkey, okay? So the simian immunodeficiency virus is in monkeys. Monkeys have this. Over time, that virus mutated, and then it became HIV. You still have SIV, you know, but you also have HIV, all right? So basically, back in Africa, <laughs> Africa, the mother of all things, the origin was Africa, and it started on the Cong in the Congo along the trade routes. So a lot of people, basically a lot of um, men who were um, in shipping and driving to and fro up and down the Congo, you know, they would either um, eat, the, eat the bush meat or have sex with someone who ate the bush meat. You know, now the virus is in your system, and over time, things happen. Things happen, things happen, and more things happen. So there's definitely a link between HIV and SIV, all right? So they found this strain basically in chimpanzees that was similar or identical to HIV in humans, all right? So just everybody just know this. So HIV basically, we can all say it, it came from monkeys, all right? It came from monkeys, and it came from monkeys along the um, – uh, 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 trail in the Congo in Africa, 
Do we all agree with that? I know some folks are probably still saying, nah, I don't agree with that. It was still made in a lab. I don't care what nobody say. But per science, per investigation, per research, per theory, it was um, found in Africa. And then it left Africa and it made its way over to Haiti. And for a long time, Haiti um, suffered a lot of racism, stigma, and discrimination as a result of people thinking that Haiti was the core place for HIV, how it got to the States. All right. Now, Fast forward to the 1980s. In the 1980s, the first people became aware of HIV, um, like in 81, 82, and that's when it became a health condition. They realized it was a health condition because a few cases were reported by gay men in New York, New York and San Francisco, California. Now, a lot of these gay men, they hung out in a place called a bathhouse. A bathhouse is basically... I don't want to say a sex club, but it's a place where, where gay men would congregate and be intimate. You know, they would go in, they, they would do whatever they got to do. So if you have someone that has HIV, of course, all this close body contact, all this, this sex and going back and forth, the virus was spreading. So it became known as the gay disease. It's not a gay disease. That's why it's called HIV, human, all right? Y'all with me? Human immunodeficiency virus. That means if you are human, if you are walking around part of the human race, you can contract HIV. You are not, you are not exempt. You know, man, woman, boy, girl, you know, transgender, it does not matter. If you're a human and you have blood, you can contract HIV, all right? So in 81 is when the CDC um, launched out a report and they said we have something new that is on the horizon because they were finding cases of this rare kind of flu, lunocystis pneumonia, all right? Right after that, right after that, the San Francisco Health Department wrote the CDC and said, hey, we have a few of those cases here. We need somebody to investigate. We need someone to investigate. Over time, as a result of that, of all that, the CDC started to call, you know, people with HIV a part of the 4-H club, you know, homosexuals, hemophiliacs, heroin, heroin addicts, and Haitians, because those were the ones who seemed to be the most prevalent with HIV. You got that homosexuals. Hemophiliacs, people with a blood disorder, heroin addicts because they shoot up, and Haitians, all right, the 4-H club. Stigma started right there, right there in 1983. So when that stigma began, that stigma stuck. And here we are today still combating that same stigma, all right? Now, let me, let me go and say why I want to do tonight's conversation. So I want a program called Healthy Hemp. It's at APLA Health in the city of Los Angeles. So I'm the program manager, and Healthy Him really talks about the um, physical, spiritual, and mental health of young men of color, all right? So one of the guys that is a part of Healthy Him, he was at a function over the weekend. He was at a little party, a little kickback or whatever, and he said there was a guy next to him, a young gay man next to him, that said, I'm not, I don't want to move to Atlanta because I don't want to catch HIV, all right? So my little mentee, mortified. His name was Daryl. Daryl was mortified, posted it on Facebook, and said, I can't believe what I just heard. Someone sitting next to me said, I don't want to move to Atlanta because I don't want to catch HIV. First of all, are you planning on moving to Atlanta and having sex with every single, you know, Atlantean that you see? Is that your goal? Are you planning on moving to Atlanta and having bareback and all the, bareback sex in all the counties? Are you going to do Cobb County? I mean, what's your goal? What's your goal, bro? Are you moving to Atlanta to just have sex? 
that right there, that right there was a red flag and a trigger and a warning to say that people think that the gay community is abreast about HIV, all there is to know about HIV. That is the furthest thing from the truth. People are still ignorant about HIV, gay, straight, and other. It has, it has no respect to person. If people don't want to know, they're not going to take the time to know. So tonight we're going to talk about this and get folks in the know because it is so important that we get in the know. Parents, if you have a child, one day your child is going to have sex. When your child has sex, you're going to want your child to have responsible, mature, and educated experiences. You don't want your child out there just winging it and trying to figure out what goes where and with who. Parents, it is up to you to make sure that your child is educated because the school, believe it or not, the school does not provide HIV education. The school does not sit down and have classes with your kids about HIV. They barely have courses about sexual health. So your kids are out there learning about HIV from the streets or not at all, all right? There you go. So to date, more than 70 million people have been infected with HIV, and about 35 million people have died. 70 million people infected, 35 million people have died, yet we still have people out there thinking HIV is transmitted through mosquito bites, sharing a fork, or sitting on a toilet. People are still ignorant. Mind you, I said HIV was introduced in America in 1981. What year is this? 2018, people still don't know how HIV is transmitted, but I guarantee you they know where to put their penis and they know how to open up their vagina, period. But they still don't know, all right? In 2017, three out of four people living with HIV knew their status, all right? Listen to what I said. In 2007, three out of four people living with HIV knew their status. That means one of those people had no idea that they are living with the virus. They have no idea. So that person that has no idea they're living with the virus is going out there and doing what? They're living like they're HIV negative, okay? That means they're putting other people at risk for infection. And among those people who knew their status, four out of five were accessing treatment. That means people have HIV and they're still not in care and still not getting treatment. That is crucial. And among those getting treatment, four out of five were virally suppressed. That means the, the medication, they're not 100% adherent or they're not virally suppressed. It means the medication is not getting them to undetectable, all right? So people, we need to wake up and we need to stop running from conversations about HIV. Stop running from conversations about condoms. Stop running from conversations that can keep you healthy. Stop running from it, okay? If you are having sex, if you are having sex, you are at risk of contracting HIV, all right? Period. Period. You're still at risk. If you do not know the status of your sex or sexual partners, guess what? You can contract HIV because you could be with that one person that does not know their status. All right. Reports also say that every week, every week, around 7,000 young women aged 15 to 24 become infected with HIV. Now, we're talking globally. I'm not talking about, you know, in South Central, you know. I'm not talking about, you know, during, um, you know, the taste of soul in L.A. You know, I'm not talking about all that. Around 7,000 young women become infected with HIV every week. 
all right? All right? We got to think about this, people. These stats don't lie. This is what's going on. This is reported data. But people are still not listening to me. I can stand on top of the mountain and yell it, and folks say, shut up, Dante. We know. Get off the mountain. We get it, all right? Before I bring Tracy on, I'm going to bring this on real quick, just so everybody knows. How is HIV transmitted? Here we go. There are six body fluids that can transmit HIV. Six. Blood, semen, precum, rectal fluids, vaginal fluids, and breast milk. All right? Six body fluids. Blood, semen, precum, rectal fluid, vaginal fluid, and breast milk. Notice, I did not say tears, saliva, sweat, or urine. Okay? I did not say that. So that means you can get peed on. You won't catch HIV. You can get cried on. You won't catch HIV. You can get sweated on. You will not catch HIV. And you can get spit on. You will not catch HIV. I don't yuck your yum. You want to get peed on? Go for it. Go to showers. That's your Jewish. Rock with it. You want to get spit on? Hey, do you. Live. Take it to the gutter. I don't care. Just be safe. But those four body fluids do not put you at risk for HIV infection, okay? Blood, semen, pre-cum, rectal fluids, vaginal fluids, and breast milk. Now, those fluids only infectious if they come in contact with a mucous membrane or damaged tissue or are directly injected into the bloodstream via a needle or a syringe, all right? Your mucous membranes are found inside your rectum, the vagina, the opening of the penis, and the mouth. Think of it this way, your pink part. If you open it up and you see pink, that is your mucous membrane. Now, if you open up somebody's mouth and their mouth is all black and you still want to stick your penis or your vagina in there, that's all on you, okay? That's you. I don't yuck your yum. But the part should be pink. That's the opening of the mouth, opening of the vagina, opening of the rectum, and opening of the penis. Any of those pink parts are a sign of well, that's your mucous membrane, and that's where you can con- contract the virus. If any of those fluids touch those parts, hey, you're at risk, okay? Also, if you share needles, do not share needles. Also, be careful when you get tattoos, get an ear piercing, and all that kind of stuff. If you're going to go out and get a tattoo, make sure you see the tattoo artist open up a clean needle. Pull it out the package. Do not let them share a needle because outside of HIV, you can catch hepatitis, all right? Just a serious, all right? So you got to be careful, all right? All right, so we got that. Everybody got that? And, of course, HIV is spread through sex, oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex. Here we go, oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, all right? Notice I said the three different kinds of sexual acts, oral, anal, vaginal. I didn't say nothing about a position, all right? I didn't say missionary style, doggy style, cowgirl, reverse cowgirl, froggy style, 69. I didn't say none of that. Those are positions, all right? Acts are oral, anal, vaginal, all right? Fluids are blood, semen, pre-cum, rectal fluids, vaginal fluids, and breast milk, all right, so we got that. All right, so I hope everybody is taking note. Everybody take note because this is really important information that you should definitely know. All right, so now I'm about to bring my girl Tracy on, and she's going to take it one step further and talk about some of the challenges that are out there. We're trying to educate our women, um, especially African-American women, within marginalized communities. What's up, Tracy? Hey, Dante, how you doing? 
I am, I am good. just I'm laughing good at you. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Listen, I'm just, and when I say I'm laughing at you, I am like, oh, this is just, it's such a, you know, it's 2018 and we've been talking about this for 20 years. 20 and it's just years. Right. It's, it's, it's sad. Just and sad. You work a lot with, yeah, and your passion is women. You know, like mine is men. men. I work with young men of color, you know, gay men, bisexual men, whatever men. But yours is women. And, and I think that your your lane is far more challenging than mine because you got to convince these women to get tested when they're walking around thinking that my man is too masculine to have HIV. You know, our women, it's just a different thing. So tell the folks what, what your struggle is out there with this topic. I don't, you know what, honestly, women who participate in routine health care and participate in regular health care actually do get tested, but they don't often test as, they, they test as a, you know, because the, the doctor may bring it up. They may not initiate it. Some of them do. Some of them, you know, who are younger, who are more educated, who have worldly friends, they do test, but some women who are those women who are most at risk are less likely to do so. Okay. So those women who may be part, who may be exposed to STDs, which is very common in areas like South LA women who are injecting drugs, because, you know, 17% of the women that test positive maybe have some form of needle use. Some women who may have uh, concurrency or partners, you know, who overlap over periods of time or are, uh, connected to penal systems, et cetera, they are less likely to test because they're most disconnected from a system. So it's harder mm-hmm. when you have so many psychosocial, when you have so much, you know, when you have a need for food, clothing, and shelter, you're not thinking about your sex unless you're thinking about using it to say your Jones or your housing. So if you're wow. disconnected from a system, you're less likely to test. But a woman who's engaged in a system, who's participating in a system, will test. But the challenge is our women, like you said, who are 15 to 24. Those women, those young girls, those young women, right, those young women who, like, are in high schools that aren't teaching them. We see high schools that kind of give you your sex education in the 12th grade year in the last semester just because they have to give it to you in order for you to graduate high school. But guess what? Right, By that right. time, some of those girls are already parents. Right? <laughs> some, that that's time, the, some, that's some, the part. They already got a kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So you're giving this girl sex education just because you got to get her out of school instead of just sitting down and talking to her when she's in middle school or even elementary school, because it really should start in elementary school by my belief, right? And it's not about talking to elementary school kids about sex. It's really about relationships because somehow, some way, a relationship happens with the way that people get along with one another before the sex even gets initiated, that you should know if it's healthy or not. And you should be able to build your social skills to ask certain questions as a part of that relationship before it gets to the sex. So it's not about, right. you know, I'm not advocating. I Look, I'm not going to give you a bunch of comments on your Facebook page about people saying Tracy showed up and said, talk to my elementary school kid about that. <laughs> but I am. No, that's okay. real talk. <laughs> but I'm going to tell people that when your kid is in elementary school, you have to talk to them about the relationships they have with their friends. 
true. Right, because those Very relationships true. carry them forward in how they communicate with one another later. And so getting but, women to but talk Tracy, do you, is... Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you, getting women you think, to talk, as, you know... Go, go. I was going to ask you, do you think that our, our high school age girls, are, are, they in, are they empowered to make decisions regarding their sexual health? Or are they shamed? You know, I think it depends. You know, it's amazing on it depends on who you ask and where you live. For example, um, I've done some work um, on the west side of Los Angeles, which is, you know, pretty affluent, pretty upper right. class, upper middle class, you know. And some of those girls were doing fundraisers for HIV. They were so progressive. They were so concerned. They just wanted to know what they could do and how they could be of service. They okay. were talking about HIV in school and having conversations. But then when I went to other schools, the girls were pregnant, had never had sex education, and knew a lot about this range of sexuality, but couldn't get down to the nitty-gritty about knowing fluids, transmission, and the basics that are necessary in order to truly practice prevention. Mm. So I think that our wow. apathy... Right, our apathy, our silence, our funding, our fear, and our silence has really harmed girls of color. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so I don't think that the girls are necessarily empowered. I think it depends on where you live and what access you have. Right. Right. And who, now who, who can, that, can that be changed? Because oftentimes we hear about the problem, but but is there a solution? How do we get our communities, our, our more disenfranchised communities, more involved in conversations about HIV and sexual health at, an, I don't want to say an elementary level, but junior high and high school? Because like you said, a lot of these girls, they end up pregnant, and why they're having sex so young in, in poor communities is a whole different conversation, you know, that looking for love type mentality. That's totally different. But if we see the ratio of, of pregnancy within the hood, you would think that more dollars and more investment will go to making sure they have proper sexual health information or, or content access, you know. But what can we do as a community to kind of um, push back um, those, against those systems that are kind of keeping that out? I think there are several ways to push back. I think one way we push back is against uh, if we are involved in agencies and organizations, we push back against our funders because we know that you and I know um, from working in this industry for double-digit years that our funders are more likely to release money that go towards males than they are young females, and we have to hold them accountable to that. So we have to, okay. we have to do it in policy, which is we can't pretend that abstinence-based programs work. We can't right, pretend like if you tell your kid not to do something, they're just going to look at you and be like, oh, okay, I won't. So you have to push <laughs> right, back. Right, right, <laughs> Definitely. right. Definitely. Yeah. You have to push back against, you have to push back against parents' fear. I know as a parent, I was afraid, even though I do this work, I was afraid to talk. I remember talking to my daughter about sex and she said, you know what, you know too much. And it bothers me. So 
Hmm. Who, who and and I ended up having to take her to Planned Parenthood and sit her down with someone that looked like her, that spoke her language, and could really break it down over a period of time in a slower way. Because I wanted her to know everything. I wanted her to right. just be like, look, right. Come on, you know, I wanted her to take her boyfriend and just be like, look, let's just talk about this. What's your status? Do you know? And to just drill him down to be as safe as possible. But that was not, she was not emotionally ready for that. Right. Got it. Got it. So, Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so pushing back against now, the policy, every, pushing back against funders, mm-hmm. all that. School systems, go into your school and ask, because parents sometimes want to leave it to the schools to raise your kids. And if you truly want to do that, then you'll make sure that the education is in the school. There you go. That's the part I was getting at. You know, parents, they, they put so much responsibility on the teacher, but then they sit back and let the, the school just tell anything. You know, it's like get it get it involved and make sure your child is learning what they need to know to survive out here in these streets because some of the stuff, mm-hmm. the ignorance is, 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 is very disheartening to know that so many kids still have no idea about how HIV is transmitted. But like you said, we continue to see um, kids testing positive for chlamydia, syphilis, and gonorrhea. They're still um, coming up pregnant. They don't know how to put a condom on. I've had young men show me how to put on a condom, you know, on a, on a demo, and they put it on upside down, or they'll take it off and flip it. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, now you got the pre-cum on the outside of the condom, bruh. You did, you did it all wrong. Right. But they're not learning this, but they say no. They think they're grown. You know, and I think that's just, it's just heartening. Well, you know, I even, I have young men around that have been in my community who think that they can use two for double protection. I think, you know, who who think that, who don't even understand the concept of room temperature and the need for, for maintaining temperature, not carrying it in your wallet, right? Things like that. Uh, They also believe that if they, you know, they. You know, let's put it this way: we live in a we live in a generation now in 2018 where, at one time, babies were not being born with HIV, and now they are. Right. right. And right, and that is something that is totally preventable, but people don't know it. So even though teen pregnancy rates are are reducing, what is happening is is we're having babies that are born with syphilis. We're having babies right. that are right. born with HIV. Exactly. So what is happening is is people aren't even getting STD tested to maintain mm-hmm. their health along the way within their sexual health. Mm-hmm. So if we could somehow, uh, right, if we could somehow curb the STD epidemic, we can make a major mark in the HIV epidemic. Agreed, a hundred percent. Right. But the other problem is, is the school and what is happening in the schools and what I see in many schools, particularly my own school district where I live, that the teachers have opted out of teaching the sex education and said they just don't feel comfortable. And the school district has said, okay, well, we'll have to figure out what else to do. And so the teachers who are teaching your kids biology and health and are usually responsible to teach that course are saying, well, I just don't feel comfortable. And the school district is saying, oh, okay. And then right. having 
Right. Right. But then we just went through a budget cut, and school-based programs were the first programs that got cut. Exactly. And this is what people don't know. Right. So the schools don't want to teach it. The teachers don't want to teach it. The school districts are trying to figure out how to come into compliance with the requirements that they have to teach it. And the money's gone. So, agent, and so it's really about parents having to self educate, step up, making sure that the education is in the school because the school is really getting off from, because they're avoiding it. Agreed. They're avoiding it. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So let's. Let's mm-hmm. flip it real quick because you have worked in every area of HIV possible, <laughs> and I want to I want to talk real quick about I want to talk about you know the stigma with accessing care, and I know we we do a lot of talk about prevention and letting folks know what they can do to not contract HIV, but mm-hmm. to a person test positive, so many you know, run away and go hide, and they never access care. They don't get into care services, and that is beyond damaging. You know, what do you think is the reason why people are still running from care or still just feeling so ashamed? Because if you know about it, you have to do something about it. If you accept it, you have a responsibility to act on it. Because... When you have, a, if you know something and you have to share it with someone else, now you're being judged by that thing. You're no longer an individual. Right. You are that thing, whatever that thing may be. And you don't want to give up your powerlessness and yourself into that thing. And because it's a very emotional, difficult thing to do. Right. It is also, right, and then you go through, the, and if it's, if you're not in a relationship, then you have to go around and you have to take the gamble. Every potential sexual relationship you have, when you disclose that that person will change their mind about you, will see you in a certain way, will treat you a certain way. So shame, stigma, silence are just rampant. Right. And people right. get quiet what- about it and choose not to discuss it because they just want to feel and be loved in a world that hasn't been so kind. I, yeah, and I also know that when it comes to where, wherever you are, as far as your region within America, um, having HIV is totally different. You know, in, in Los Angeles, you know, just for example, HIV access is fairly simple. You know, you can get into a clinic. You know, you can find a clinic near you. But if you go down to Arkansas or Alabama or something like that, I know people who literally drive almost two hours to get HIV specialty care because they live in in an environment or in a system where the the shame and stigma associated with having the virus is so damaging that there is nothing within their town, you know, or their little small city that can even meet their needs. And it's unfortunate that there are so many people who who are running from care, you know, when they have access right across Mm -hmm. the street in comparison to those who want to get into care, but they can't find anyone near them, remotely near them, to see them. You know, and I wish that there was a way we can 
express to those people who live in, in urban areas where care is accessible, where or quali- quality care is accessible, where, where ph- pharmaceutical care is accessible, so they can see how good they have it in comparison to other parts of America where that access is so so dis- difficult to acquire. You know, I think one of the things that is one of the hardest things that has happened for me early in my career is um, my best friend zero converted and I worked as a part of one of my early jobs was I was a, an, an age drug assistance program enrollee right mm-hmm. so people could call me and they could get an age drug assistance programs in order to get their medications in order to participate in their treatment and their care and I could get them benefits in one day and they could have their medications either that afternoon or the next morning. And it was really based on the fact that we had the privilege of living in California, but my best friend was not in California. And my best friend sat on a on a wait list for over a year and T cell count dropped down to wow. 12 waiting on the list to get something that I was doing every day for other people. I had people who flew. um, I had one client who I would talk to regularly who flew from Miami to California to get their drug assistance program funding and had their meds routinely shipped to them from California to avoid some of that shame and some of that stigma to be able to comply with their medical care. Um, because it was easier at that time to get it in a UPS box than it was to walk up and get it from a clerk over the counter. Um, Now it is is not very different. Right right now it's not very different. Um, it's, It's sad, but it's true. And unfortunately, what happens with some people, people who are in California, are, who are in California are often unaware of how lucky they are in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, they're unaware that their state has provided for them ways and means to be able to have access to benefits quickly and almost immediately. Um, but but right. what has also happened with right? But what has also happened with the Affordable Care Act with young people? Um, when the Affordable Care Act rolled out with young people, young people had benefits and they didn't know it. So they were avoiding clinics because they just kept saying, oh, they're going to ask me for insurance and I don't have it. Oh, they're going to ask me for insurance and I don't have it. And then they would finally get sick enough and they would go to the emergency room and then they would find out they had insurance and they didn't know it. So they were avoiding care because they didn't have insurance, but they did because the Affordable Care Act rolled in and they didn't even understand how it applied to them. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know. I'm glad you mentioned that. And, and so- even with all the um, the hoopla that was mm-hmm. when we were trying to push people to get, you know, involved in that, people, a lot of people just ignored it and didn't even understand how it all worked. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They were just getting you know, these letters. They weren't reading the letters. Right. If they could get the letters. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And right. their health. I would. I would post on Facebook. Well. 
Right. Right. Read your mail. And they <laughs> right, they they slept on that right. And and also also, you know, people need to look at, you know, people like you and I, you know, Nicole Vick and all, but we, we share stuff on social media all the time. But people bypass the important stuff and, and like come in and share the BS. And when we share stuff that can save lives or make life easier, you know, it gets it gets zero responses. You know, and I'm like, we're trying to help y'all here, you know, enroll, <laughs> you know, enroll in medical, mm-hmm. getting this window period, and housing is available for you. But I know a lot of it has to do with pride, you know, and, and not wanting mm-hmm. to be looked upon as needing a handout. But if your life is at stake, you know, what's more important, you living or somebody looking at you that you think has arrived and they need the same help too. So now both of y'all are homeless and hungry, you know, but too scared to admit it because you want the other person to think you're struggling. And mm-hmm. and that's what I see all the time, all the time. And and just um Daniel Daniel Jay just asked a question. I wonder if you know the answer mm-hmm. to it. He said, What is the dynamic of HIV infection among inmates, male and female? Is it equal to those not in jail? So as far as the incarceration rate, HIV within the incarcerated community, you know, how is it? Okay. I can't give you statistics off the top of my head because that's not what I do because I don't like them. But mm-hmm. what I can right, say right, right. <laughs> is that I, in my work, I can say that when you go into prisons, people are not concerned about HIV. People are dying in prisons from hepatitis C. They're mm-hmm. not concerned about HIV because they know they can get HIV medications if they're in jail. Right. They they right. right. They cannot get access to hepatitis C medications in jail. What happens though with women in particular, and Dr. Nina Harara has done some work around this, is that some women, who, particularly women who are uh, lower socioeconomic scale. They have partners who become incarcerated, and they, or they themselves become incarcerated, and they have what's concurrency, right? Concurrency is like those situational relationships you enter into for a short period of time. You may not have a uh-huh. commitment. You may have a commitment. You may have an understanding that the relationship is for a period of time, but it meets a need, Right? That need could be anything, food, clothing, housing, shelter, or just straight-up sex. Those people are more likely to test positive. Those people are more likely to have STIs. HIV can't enter into a relationship unless someone is living with HIV. The question becomes, does anyone notice you're living with HIV? Right. It's harder to write. It's harder to figure out what the, you know, we could probably look up some data and say, oh, there's there's many people living, you know, with HIV who are behind the prison walls and there's this many people who are not. But those people who are living with HIV in prison are probably enrolled in care, are probably having mm-hmm. reduced viral loads, and are probably not as a big of a concern as the people who are not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And mm-hmm. that also that also ties in with a lot of homeless individuals or people who are on the street. If they're HIV negative, I know a lot of homeless people who will try to contract HIV on purpose because HIV has perks. 
So if you are HIV negative, you don't qualify for a lot of assistance programs that would expedite you through certain things like medical, dental, um, housing, or whatever. If you contract HIV, you now qualify for these programs. So I know people who literally were HIV negative, and they have told me, well, let me go out there and contract this virus so I can come back and get on your housing program, get parts, get a benefit from your food pantry, and qualify for these other services that you have because they have HIV positive friends who are living high on the hog based upon their diagnosis, and they're HIV negative, and they're sleeping in the park, sleeping in their car, or doing whatever the case may be. So for some people, it's like the pros and the cons of having HIV. The con of having HIV is, okay, I got HIV. But the pro is I'm not on the streets. I'm not hungry. You know, I have access to medical and dental services. So they look at it like that, and the psychology of that is never discussed. We never talk about um, HIV being a benefit for someone who is struggling. You know, and I know, Tracy, I know you, mm-hmm. you've seen that happen Countless times, countless yeah. times. But that I is that is a real thing. I had a woman thing. do it. I had a woman who did it, and she was very upset. She would come in and she would get tested into my one of my former sites, and she would be very upset when she tested negative. And we were in trying to figure out ways to support her mentally. Uh, as you know, as an aid service organization. Our funding requires that we work with a certain number of positive people, that we find a number, a certain number of positive people, but it's not always a whole lot of money for people who are negative. That is true. And so agencies have really helped sustain that idea with the way that funding has worked over the years. We also and right. it, has, it continues to sustain that idea when we have things like what just happened with the school programs when prevention money got cut first, no care money got cut, but when prevention money got cut and then boom, there went school education. So those things mm-hmm. continue to get harbored and manifested and they kind of grow because of evidence that people can see. The problem is is. My client, for example, who used to get upset, she when she converted, she still ended up sleeping in the park for a year because she didn't know that there was a such thing as a wait list. <laughs> that part. She was waiting for this immediate like, gratification thing to happen. Right. right. She was waiting for this like, immediate no, thing to happen. We're like, girl. Right. The only Girl, thing get in line. <laughs> right. The only thing I can get you today is some medication. You want it? Like, yeah. right. <laughs> right. Right. And here's a bus token. And it, right. And it, it really sets people up to fail. And they don't even know mm-hmm. it because they're so desperate. Right. They, you right. know, and, and that's right. more, that is, um, that's sad because it's really sustained by our institutions and our structures. That right. way of thinking is Agreed. really sustained. And so I think that, you know, in order for us, that's one of those areas. That's why I push back in our funders. We can't do quality work and only focus on one percentage of the population. We have to mm-hmm. part of people who part of our career as people who work in HIV is knowing that one day we will be unemployed. 
we will be unemployed right. because people Listen. will not be testing positive, right? This, that won't happen anymore. The only way that won't happen anymore is for you to focus on people maintaining their negative. Exactly. Exactly. There it is right, right there. <laughs> there it is right there. That's it right there. And Tracy, so not to leave everybody on like this damper, you know, on this downside. I know folks are listening like, well, this is kind of depressing and sad. What's the high note? You know, as we wrap up tonight's show, what what is the high note? You know, for me, it's you equals you. I think you equals you is a definite high note. Um, and just so I can explain to folks, you equals you basically is undetectable equals untransmittable. So what they have found out mm-hmm. is that if a person has HIV and they're on medication and they they are virally suppressed, it means they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they cannot transmit the virus. Okay, it cannot spread. So that is a win-win for people who are in a serodiscordant relationship. That means one partner is negative, one partner is positive. If the person is virally suppressed, they cannot infect their negative partner. If you meet someone and they say, I have HIV, and you want to bump uglies with them, hey, ask them the question, are you virally suppressed? Are you undetectable? If they say, why, yes, I am, then you know what? Your risk virtually is gone. And I think U equals U is something that we need to begin to talk about more and let people know because there's such a stigma associated with dating someone who has HIV, you know, getting in a relationship with someone who has HIV. Hey, if you're both educated, the relationship can be like every other relationship. And your dysfunction may not even be about the HIV. It can be about the fact that you don't have no car or no job, <laughs> you know, this is that part. So, Tracy, what is, what is your mm-hmm. high note in the work that we're doing and, and what you're seeing? I think U equals U is a high note, and I can see why people feel it's a high note. But like you said, it really only works for educated people. Right. And, Period. you know, so you have so the high note is, is that U equals U should usher in, and I'm saying should because it should, mm-hmm. usher in new priorities mm-hmm. for prevention, for there to be new conversations that, in, that inform people who are both positive and negative about the importance right. of maintaining their health. There should be ways to talk about HIV in a holistic way as it pertains to your diabetes, your blood pressure, and all those other isms that we have as a people, as a brown people, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. fit into creating a normal. One of the challenges with women and talking to women is that it is not normal for women to have conversations about their sex unless it involves birth control or bearing babies. And right. If we, right. And so if we create a new normal for women where we're not only asking them about are they planning to become or trying to become pregnant, but ask them, how are you, what are you doing? How are you having your sex? Who are you having it with? How are you discussing those things? Do you feel that you have the power to negotiate? Because power is a big issue in a woman's sexual relationship. We don't we don't have that normal. We don't have, that is not normal for us. I could go to West Hollywood and I could be inundated with messages. And men who spend time in West Hollywood are inundated with messages because and they're so used to getting them they don't even look at them anymore. You put out a message and South <laughs> right. LA people turn their head and run. <laughs> because they're not, you are not lying. 
<laughs> right. You are not lying. You are not lying. The only time, right. Right. They're not used to it. And so it's really about U equals U gives us our opportunity to have conversations that people have been afraid to have, they've been uncomfortable with having, and it shines a light, a new light on the importance of prevention for people and holistic health in a way that we've never seen before. And it creates what could be a new normal for people. Love that. And then, Tracy, real quick, can you – you mentioned something that I also want to um, bring up. Women who go to the doctor for their exams, whatever the case may be, do they still have to specifically ask for an HIV test, or is it part of the normal screening? I tell women to ask. Because your doctor okay. is not necessarily comfortable with talking to you about it. They're not necessarily comfortable with asking you questions. Many doctors will avoid it because they don't want to ask. They don't, because if they ask, they feel uncomfortable with how you might answer because they might be forced to respond. Plus, they might only have nine minutes in the room with you anyway. So I tell, people, okay. I tell women to okay. ask to create a new normal for yourself because you're creating the basis for your sexual health, period. You can't expect okay. that it will be a okay. part of a normal screening, that it will be a part of a normal screening because your doctor may also not be comfortable like that. My, I've had doctors myself. I have been to uh, a major health plan who refused to test me a time or two. And I had to request it and ask for it, yet myself. And I've had to say to them, okay, this is what I do for a living, so I'm going to ask you again. And then they do it. Hmm. I even had had someone, I even went to the doctor for an obstetrical appointment when I was pregnant, and I asked for the results of my HIV test, and they hadn't ran it. And I asked for my test, and they asked me if I had been naughty, and I told them, I have not been naughty, whatever you define naughty to be, but I'm in your office <laughs> right. and I'm pregnant. <laughs> what you're not going to do is shame me. <laughs> That's right. what's not going to happen. You're not going to shame me up in here. I'm here. <laughs> right. I'm here and right. I'm pregnant. Come on now. It happened right. at least once. Right. <laughs> right. Naughty. <Whoa. laughs> I'm a grown woman. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you right. Okay. I tell people ask for it. Ask for and it. And I think it's also important you, that that people understand that their that their primary care physician is not an infectious disease doctor. You know, and and definitely. most people living with HIV, like myself, I have an infectious disease doctor, so I have a specialist. Mm-hmm. So all these conversations are normal for me, but for a regular general practitioner. HIV is not on the normal part of dialogue. That's something that's out the box. That's something that's well to hear, like, oh, my God, why do you need that? People don't understand that. I think a lot of people just don't understand that your mm-hmm. primary care physician is not an HIV specialist. So if you bring up HIV, right. you may know more than they do. Yes, they're your doctor, but because mm-hmm. you're getting education like this, you may know more than them about HIV and what's out there. And they'll be like, oh, I never heard of that. Let me research it. I didn't know. Um, when I had a kidney right. stone, um, the doctor prescribed me some medication, and I said, yo, you know I have HIV. Is what you're prescribing me going to counteract against my regular medication? 
she has to go and look and say, oh, you're right. You can't take this. Thanks for letting me know you have HIV. But it's in my record. But she wasn't even thinking like that. She saw kidney stone, I give him this. It's like, no, sis, this is what I make sure I'm, I'm good afterwards. So I think, like you said, power is very important, power in the bedroom and power in that doctor's office. They work for you. They work for you. So Right. Definitely. And you have to know, uh, right, and you have to know there's a whole bunch of money going right now into to research about the fact that doctors are actually biased against asking sexual-related questions. Mm-hmm. Doctors mm-hmm. don't want to mm-hmm. ask it. They don't want to know because if they know, then they have to do something about it, and they're too uncomfortable. And that could very easily be your doctor because that is not something that's listed in that book. <laughs> right, right. That, that's, right, right, right. That's not going to be in that benefit book when you t- when you mm-hmm. pick that doctor with your eyes closed, with your hand on that page. So you you can't assume <laughs> that your doctor will know anything. <laughs> right, that and that's real talk. And I right. think people need to realize that and, and be aware. And Kwame Corbett, he just um, asked the question basically: So should medical providers be trained in basic prevention education? And, or designate a referral to a specialist. Yes, yes, and that's been an ongoing Both. argument on, on higher levels, um, trying to basically educate, you know, new doctors, the ones fresh out of um, the ones that are in medical school, you know, whatever, educate them on sexual health and all that kind of stuff. And they also need to know who to refer people to. But you'd be amazed at how many, you know, general practitioners have no idea of what we're talking about tonight. They just don't know. It's not, it's not what they, they do every day. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and they like Bridget yeah. just said, yeah. they don't want to be told how to practice. They don't want to know how to practice. They want to do what they do and leave all that other stuff for that infection disease specialist. But, yeah, as far as educating doctors overall, it's been an ongoing situation. Um, they just actually passed a law in California saying that um, general practitioners need to know about PrEP. They need to understand what PrEP is all about, you know, so now they all have to be educated on prep and next week show is about prep pre-exposure prophylaxis so tune in next week and you hear all about prep so um yeah that, that's really it so i'm sorry tracy go ahead you were mm-hmm. saying um just to wrap it up tracy what's your what's your message for the people especially for mothers of children you know mothers of, of teenagers what should they know about sex and how they should talk to their kids about sex Oh, Lord, everything. First, I would say to <laughs> As a mother, don't assume, right, don't, right, don't assume you know it. Don't assume you know it. Educate yourself. Get past your own stigma and your shame. Understand that your kids live in a different world of sex than you did, so they might know more than you think. Educate mm-hmm. yourself up with facts and Really invest yourself with facts so you can communicate them to your children because you're, what your children are learning from are, are their friends, but they're also learning from the Internet. Teach your children that porn is not making love. Okay, that part. Teach your children. Porn is not making love. <laughs> Say that again. Porn is not making love. All right, don't Man, let that porn, porn teach you how to have sex. not making love. Don't get it. Because that is so staged. Right, all the hollering and carrying right. on. That don't really happen. She probably bored and falling man, asleep. Man, anybody. Man, <laughs> if you have sex and you hear a soundtrack in the back, it ain't real. 
<laughs> right. That bomb chicka bomb bomb don't belong there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so learn learn facts so you can dispel your own myths so you don't pass them on to your children. Right. Because when you right. pass myths and mistruths onto your children, they hold on to them in either in a state of confusion because they don't believe you, or they or they it stunts them from being able to make empowered choices. Love that. So love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Learn the facts. Mm-hmm. Learn the facts. Awesome. Learn the facts. And basically, nothing nothing we're talking about tonight cannot be googled. You know, you you can Google this. I That's mean, true. if you want to know anything about HIV, just go on to Google. Um, and and I'm not even sure if I know back in the day, um, the Red Cross was not taking blood from gay people. Um, they weren't taking they blood from gays because they, okay. So the Red Cross does not take blood from um, people who identify as LGBT um, because they were saying that they don't know. You know, basically, we all got HIV. That's how they were looking at it. I'm not, I know there was a something going on a while back where people were really combating that and trying to fight that mm-hmm. and argue that. But I'm googling mm-hmm. it now. I'm trying to just see if I can see something about it before I. Um, I want to tell you. Wrong. I want to. Right. I want to tell you that there have been young people who have given blood through Red Cross at their schools and have tested positive, and the Red Cross sent letters to their schools trying to find them, disclosing their status before they knew their status. And there have been cases of young people who have tested positive through through the Red Cross, and the Red Cross has alerted maybe personnel, their counselors, or someone at the school because they're trying to identify the youth. And they may have gotten letters through the mail instead of someone coming out and reaching out to them, which is what we do. When someone tests positive wow. in our agencies, they have a personal experience. I suggest to people that if you feel that you are participating in any behavior, whatever it may be, that could place you at risk for HIV to build a habit of testing so early that, that even if you are donating blood to the Red Cross, they don't know anything you don't know. There you go. Be- there you go. Right. They know your status so well that that is not something that puts you in a position that you don't want to be in. Got it. And it, Got it. I'm right. looking. Right. I'm looking on their site right now, and basically on the Red Cross's site, um, it's one of the questions is, if I'm a man who has sex with another man, do I have to be, really have to be celibate for 12 months before giving blood? Yes. So the Red Cross will only take blood from a gay man if he has not had another man within the last 12 months, all right? So for those that did not know this, if you want to donate blood to the Red Cross, you have to have you have to be celibate, and you could not have had sex in the last twelve months. Why? Um, hey, call the Red Cross and find out. But I just um, read that. So Pushing I mean, back it makes me wonder. Uh, yeah, you know, listen, make make you wonder: is it discrimination, or was it ever? So can mm-hmm. uh, you know? So a prostitute, a prostitute can give blood to the Red Cross, 
but a gay man cannot. All right, so you're mm-hmm. assuming that all gay men are living lifestyles that put them at risk for all kind of infections and diseases. So, yeah, I think that's just something mm-hmm. to look at, something to question and all that, but they want you to be celibate um, for at least 12 months before you give blood. And I think that is, and I think the same thing I'm looking, the same thing um, goes for transgenders. Yeah. So if you're mm-hmm. a transgender person, you need to call, you need to call the donor and client support center to confirm eligibility before coming to donate. So I think that is, mm-hmm. that is something, that is something a lot of folks probably so don't know. they can discriminate against you think to know. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. they can discriminate exactly. against you on the phone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so basically, my closing comments are are this: um, if you are living with HIV, get into care. Um, do not ignore getting into care. If you are in another city or another state where getting into care is complicated, please inbox me. Um, I am on Facebook. You can go to Dante Morrison on Facebook and shoot me an inbox message, or you can email me at Dante Morrison at gmail dot com. Um, I have. Um, connections basically all across the country. Um, I know someone that knows someone that knows someone. Trust me, the HIV prevention field is very small, <laughs> but we're, and we're all connected. So I know someone. If you are struggling to get into care or cannot find a clinic near you or, or just have medical mistrust and want to know a safe space to go to, just hit me up, and I will navigate that for you as best I can. Um, if you have never been tested, I recommend getting an HIV test. I don't care if you are a heterosexual woman who has only slept with five men. Go out and get tested because you don't know who those five men have slept with, all right? And, ladies, get tested with your dude coming into the clinic and asking for an HIV test. And when I ask you, so where's your guy, you say, oh, he's at home watching the game. And I'm like, well, why are you here without him? Oh, he ain't got nothing. Well, why are you here? Well, my gut is just telling me something. Trust your gut, sis, and come on up in here with your dude, and y'all get tested together, all right? Fellas, if you know that you have a proclivity for the penis, but you still love the vagina, come on in and get tested on the regular. Get tested, bruh. You know, stop trying to run around and say, oh, I won't, I won't catch nothing. God going to keep me and all that kind of stuff. Situations have consequences, okay? So if you are bisexual and you don't know the status of your male or female partners, come on in and get tested. If you are heterosexual and don't know the status of your your opposite sex partners, come on, get tested. If you are homosexual and don't know the status of your partners, come on in and get tested. The test takes 60 seconds. 60 seconds. It's not like it was back in the day. I'm sure Tracy can remember when it took seven days to 14 days to get the results of the HIV test. Don't get tested on a Friday. That's going to be a long-ass weekend. <laughs> don't do it. Man. You better get tested on Man. Monday. Get tested on Monday. You get tested on Friday. And don't mess up and do it on the the You hear me? Don't you won't know until the next 24th. year. <laughs> <laughs> you won't know until the next year. It'll be a long year for you. <laughs> Your New Year's Eve will not okay. be with a kid. You'll be nervous and sweating. So it's really up to you, all right? We all are responsible for our health. No one else is responsible for your health, all right? So before you get in bed, before you cut the lights out, look at that body part. Look down at them pink parts. Make sure they're looking healthy. Make sure they're looking right, okay? If something's not right, something don't smell right, trust your gut. I don't care if you hurt the person's feelings, okay? Your health is what is most important. Know the status of your partner, all right? Testing is easy. You want me to give you an HIV test? 
Come on down to APLA Health and Wellness, 3741 South La Avenue in the city of Los Angeles. I am in Baldwin Hills, California. I make it sound bougie, but it's really the jungle. It's where they film training day. So come on over to Baldwin Hills. Get an HIV test from me or one of my staff. We can make it happen. Um, check out Healthy Him on Facebook. Um, we're a prevention program for young men of color. Parents, if you want me to come and talk to your kids about sex, HIV, sexual health, all that kind of stuff, you can reach out to me. Mothers, if you need a woman to talk to your daughters, Tracy, you down? Will you do it? Yeah, I'll do it. I have no problem doing that. <laughs> I, like I, have, I have no problem doing that. No, I have no problem Good. doing that. Listen, we need that. Tracy will keep it 100. And I always tell, tell you know, mothers, yo, if you got daughters, Yes, I can do a workshop with your daughter, not a problem. I can talk to your, 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 your daughter and her friends about sex and all that, but I cannot talk to her about being a woman. I cannot talk to her about being a girl, you know. And when it comes to sexual health and all that kind of stuff, mom, the stuff you're squeamish to talk about, reach out to Tracy. I have a lot of friends in this field that will love to just have an opportunity to educate your kids because it takes a village. We're all in this together. You can find Tracy on Facebook. It's T-R-A-C-I. All right, not T-R-A-C-Y, T-R-A-C-I Bivens. So find Tracy on Facebook and ask her questions about women's health, women's sexual health, HIV testing for women, how to talk to your doctor, you know, about what you're doing in the bedroom. Reach out to Tracy. It's really, really, really important that we begin to have these conversations. We've got to do it for ourselves. We've got to do it for those that we love, all right? Next week's conversation, I'm going to talk about PrEP. PrEP is something huge. PrEP is something that we're, that communities of color is still kind of behind the A-ball on. The train has left the station, um, and the white community, the white gay community, it has taken PrEP, put it in a headlock, and they're making it happen. San Francisco, HIV rates have lowered drastically, but I'm really talking about the hood. we got to get involved, everybody, all right? So with that being said, I want everyone to remember what we talked about on tonight. All right, HIV, how do you contract it? You contract it through sex, oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, all right? You have pink parts. Pink parts are the opening of the mouth, the opening of the penis, the opening of the vagina, and the opening of the rectum. All those are pink parts, okay? So that matters as well. All right, you catch HIV by being exposed to six Body fluids, the body fluids are blood, semen, pre-cum, breast milk, vaginal secretions, and rectal fluids. If you come in contact with those six body fluids, you are at risk of being exposed to HIV. One important thing you must know about the HIV test, there is a thing called the window period. It takes between four to 12 weeks for HIV to show up on a standardized HIV test. That means if you are having sex right now while you're listening to my voice and you look at that person and you don't know their HIV status, don't come and get tested tomorrow because the test on tomorrow will not pick up HIV you caught on tonight, all right? Give yourself four weeks. Wait four weeks. Be celibate for four weeks. Don't have no sex for four weeks. Come on in and get tested, all right? That test will, at that point, be sensitive enough to pick it up, all right? And it's very important you remember that. Don't run to the clinic in panic saying, I had sex last night. Please test me today, all right? All right. That is what I want you all to remember. Please remember that. Window period is important. Body fluids are, are important. Condoms are important. If you don't want to use a condom, 
Don't forget U equals U. And next week, same time, 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we're going to talk about PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. That is the one pill a day regimen you can take to decrease your chance of catching HIV by up to 97%. All right, that is for men, women, gay, straight, bisexual, transgender. It does not matter. If you are human, you can get on PrEP. All right, special shout-out to my guest on tonight, Tracy Bivens Davis, who came on at the very last minute. Like, I literally asked Tracy at 8.45, can you come on my show and talk about HIV and its effects upon women? So I really want to give a huge shout-out to Tracy. She's doing big things across the country when it comes to educating women about sexual health and getting women more involved in these kind of conversations. Sorry, everybody. So until next week, stay healthy, stay strong, stay focused, stay safe, Stay informed and do what you can to share tonight's show with someone that you feel may be at risk for infection or needs to know the facts about HIV so we can remove the stigma and the ignorance. All right, check me out on www.dantemorrison.com. Reach out to your boy, get to know your boy, support your boy. All right, everybody, stay blessed. Till next week.